listeners, uh, welcome to European Talks. It is a podcast organized by the European Policy Center. My name is Trahina Subotic and I will be your host for today. I have a great pleasure to talk to Marina Dosianowski. She is an Italian expert of Macedonian origins and a College of Europe alumni. Currently, she is an inter- uh, doing an internship at the European Policy Center. Considering her interesting background, I believe that uh, she can provide a really relevant and interesting outlook on the existing topic of the Italian elections. Now I'd like to give the floor to Marina. Marina, what happened? We've seen Brothers of Italy dominating the elections, becoming number one party, and this has left you know political commentators a little bit confused as this is a bit rare in the political scene in Italy for a far right to dominate the elections um, to that extent. So please let us know what happened and do you consider this to be a political earthquake as it is often described? Hello everyone, hello Strachinia, thank you for this great opportunity. Um, I would say that this does not come as a shock that Giorgia Meloni won. I mean, we all saw the polls during the campaign and it was already showing that she would be the first one leading uh, during the elections. Um, It is particularly interesting, I would say, though, that she gained a 25% in 2022, considering that when she started back in 2012, she was only on a 3%. Um, But however, I would say that the most shocking part comes with the fact that this is the most right-wing government Italy has ever had in its history ever since fascism ended. So this is also something that makes us think, why? Why did it happen and why now? Um, We indeed have had uh, center-right political parties in our government. We all remember uh, Berlusconi. Uh, But now the difference, I would say, is that um, the right wing is also pushing towards different policies. We're also pushing towards social policies. They're pushing towards abortion. They're changing uh, the rights for the LGBTQ community, or at least they would try to do that. And also, of course, a very important topic in Italy is migrants and refugees. So um, there might also be a shake into, into these uh, policies. Um, so we all saw that she gained a 25% in the elections and her coalition with Berlusconi and Salvini, together with Meloni, was a 44. Um, But what can we say? I mean, the Italians express their own opinion. We are in a democracy, so it means that the Italians want this uh, coalition to be our new uh, government. On the other hand, it's also important to say that um, the left wing has become very weak in Italy, we see, yeah. we see that uh, the Partito Democratico, so the Democratic Party, uh, was split because Calenda and Renzi decided to create their own political parties and create their own coalition under Terzo Polo. Sounds familiar here in Serbia. <laughs> Democrats always splitting. Yeah. Um, so there was no coalition between the left, the old left wing, let's say. And on top of it, the Five Star Movement, which is led by... Um, by Conte, decided to run for elections by itself. So we see that on the one hand, the right wing really gathered together, while on the other hand, the left wing just was divided and weakened. Um, But the question is, who did really win? 
Okay. Because if you look at the pools, for example, this is actually quite shocking in Italy because less than 64% of the population went to vote, which is the lowest number we have ever had in Italian history. 64. Less than 64, okay. yes. We're on uh, 63.45 around, yes. Okay. So this is actually 9% less than the previous election. So if you look actually at the newspapers on Sunday and on Monday, they were saying that actually silence won because the majority of the people did not actually go mm. to vote. Um, so this is also a factor for a reflection. Why didn't people go to vote? What are the reasons behind it? Uh, I mean, we all know that uh, there were a lot of... Um, uh, uh, there was like a lot of bad weather, especially in the south of Italy. So this did not play in favor of people living in the south. Okay. A lot of people were not able to go back home to vote because in Italy, fortunately or unfortunately, we're still not able to vote in the place where we live, but we have to go back to where our residence is. So of course, those are all factors that play the role. But I would also say that for some people, was also a way to protest in silence and say, no, this time I'm not going to go to vote because no one represents me. Um, so yes, I mean, uh, again, it is shocking to some extent. Okay. But actually, I would say that uh, especially within the fragile ones in the society, and the people who might be directly affected, as I said earlier, with the LGBTQ community, with the abortion, migrants, refugees, people are actually scared of what's going to happen next. Um, their narrative, especially Meloni's narrative, has changed okay. in the past years. Especially it has changed right before the elections. More to the mainstream. I would say so, yes. I mean, she was trying to gather, from my own perspective, as many votes as possible. Um, but I mean, and apparently she was successful, right? Yeah, she was successful, of course, because people were listening. I mean, she's a, objectively, we cannot say she's not a charismatic person. She really is. She knows how to speak. Um, she was able to talk to the people. She was going to different cities to talk to the people. And also she used a very um, simple mm -hmm. Italian. So she was actually understood and she had a famous majority. slogan during the campaign right yes um i mean she became very mainstream i would say in whole europe io sono georgia io sono madre io sono italiana io sono cristiana which means i'm georgia i'm a mother i'm an italian and i'm a christian and i mean with this logo she was literally able to gather the most fundamental values of italian society of the traditional italian Tradition. society sorry uh, which are family and religion so she was really able to be to be heard by people. Uh, but at the same time, I, could, I would also consider this more as a um, strategy because this is not the first time a right wing wins in Europe. I mean, the examples par excellence in Europe are Poland and Hungary. And I would also claim that the Orban that we met 10 years ago is on the same Orban that we know nowadays. So we don't know how okay. this, could, uh, this could evolve. But she could also evolve in the other direction, right? She could actually become mainstream, keep this... Uh course of action in order to stay in power because uh, I guess uh, history teaches us that uh, extremists are easy to win support but they can't maintain it for too long because uh, often the populist rhetoric during uh, the pre-elections and the elections uh, actually re requires a reality check you know public policies and uh, policies towards the EU are actually uh, uh, used as a reality check to uh, make more uh, realistic uh, policies so do you believe 
believe that maybe Meloni uh, could go in that direction, uh, softening down uh, its tone, rhetoric, and actually implementing uh, certain uh, reforms and uh, policies in cooperation with the EU. How do you see this scenario? Um, this is actually a very interesting question. Um, I am not sure whether she's going to change her narrative okay. and she's going to become a mainstream because at the core she has her own ideologies. And actually, um, she was invited in an interview right before the elections with Letta, the head of uh, Partito Democratico, and she said very clearly that she believes in an intergovernmental European Union where the member states have their own sovereignty. So she believes in a cooperation to some extent with the European Union but the last word must be of the member states. So definitely uh, we do not have this narrative as before of ETA exit that, for example, we saw with Salvini back in 2018, because probably also the right wing realized that we cannot really live without the, the European Union, especially without the EU funds. So um, we also saw that she's happy to collaborate with the European Central Bank and also to get the next generation funds. So I would say that there is no fear or threatening uh, the European Union in the sense of leaving the EU per se, but I think she will try to keep as much as possible the sovereignty of Italy in the house. But I also would say that it it, it will also depend how the formation of the government will develop. Okay. We already saw that there were some internal disputes within the coalition per se because Salvini wants to become the Minister of Interior Affairs, which is creating some disputes within the coalition. So let's also see who's going to be in charge Trying of the EU affairs. Exactly, right. yes. But in that regard, she's quite an interesting figure. Although she is a far right, or the furthest mm -hmm. right Italy has had so far in charge of policies, if we imagine her forming the government, which is realistic, she nevertheless is having a softer tone than expected right towards the EU uh, during the COVID pandemic, right? She was not mm -hmm. anti-vax, yeah. right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, this is true. I mean, I would say that Italy is a very specific and particular country because it was one of the first countries affected by COVID in a very bad way um, when COVID started. Um, so, in general, I would say that we do not have this type of narratives in Italy against vaccination. I mean, the only thing she said during her campaign was that she will never force anyone to get vaccinated. So, in that sense, when it comes to COVID, um, in Italy, we do not see this type of right, classical okay. wing uh, narrative, yes. And considering that, uh, you know, the, the worst part of the crisis pandemic seems to be over, her statements of these, this kind do not seem to cause that much harm. So the COVID in that regard wasn't a big of an issue during the uh, election campaign, right? No, uh, the COVID per se, no. But uh, let's say that ever since the war in Ukraine happened, every country had some consequences, the biggest one being uh, energy. Okay, please and tell us more about it, yes? Yes, yeah, so uh, let's say that uh, the prices increased a lot and uh, we came to the situation to the point where Italians cannot afford to pay their bills. So um, on the one hand, we have this that is happening right now and they're trying to find a deal and how to create a policy to help the Italians, as they say, Italians first, using you know their narrative. But also on the other hand, we have a problem. I mean, it's a spillover effect what happened with COVID. A lot of people lost their jobs. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this meant increase of poverty and unemployment. So what are we going to do concretely about this? And I suppose people who got unemployed and um, potentially have lower levels of education is the t- was the target group, right, of uh, Meloni during the election campaign? This is actually the most interesting part. So in the elections, we see a split between generation, but also level of education. So uh, some polls say that most educated people tended, at least, to vote for the left wing. Okay. And the same goes with people over 65 age rise. While the younger population actually voted for Meloni. But this goes back to what we were saying before, right? I mean, a lot of people think she's this new figure in politi- in Italian politics, but this is also what happened with the previous elections in 2018 with the Five Star Movement. Uh, this is something new, this is going to be great, the left wing is not helping us, the left wing is inefficient, so let's try to go this other direction. Okay, and considering all that we've said so far, do you believe she will rock the boat when it comes to uh, EU's and even America's uh, attempts to assist Ukraine? Mm, so if you look back at her narratives, also back with Crimea, for example, we could also use Berlusconi and Salvini in this case. Um, they tended to be much more towards Russia. Um, in this case, I would say that the situation changed. Uh, we still don't know whether she agrees with the eighth package or not that Ursula von der Leyen was talking about for the sanctions uh, to Russia. Um, I do not think it's going to be that extreme, or at least as long as it doesn't hurt Italy that much, to use her own words, mm-hmm. um, she won't go against what the EU and the US are doing. But again, the most important thing for her is the interest of the Italians. So it will depend. And considering that one of her informal motives is Italy first, Italians first, what about uh, people from the Balkans? <laughs> Where are we on her <laughs> list of uh, priorities? Um, so during her campaign, she hasn't really mentioned concretely uh, enlargement. I mean, we know that she's not a very keen towards internal integration of the EU. So, for example, ideologies such as federalism are definitely not on her table. Um, so I'm afraid... Macron would, won't be too happy about exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Schultz neither. <Yeah. laughs> so maybe they should work on that a little bit. Um, so I'm afraid, actually, that uh, a country like Italy with Meloni as prime minister would be the next veto to the enlargement of uh, of the Western Balkans. I mean, if you look at the history, Italy has never been this country against uh, enlargement. And also, if you look at bilateral agreements of Italy with Western Balkan countries, have been always quite positive, I would say. Right. Uh, perhaps the bilateral agreements will still continue because of interest, of course. Uh, but I'm afraid that uh, EU integration with the Western Balkans is not going to be on, on her agenda. And I can uh, easily picture 
um, narratives such as uh, we're going to have the next flow of migrants, mm. uh, the economic situation is going to be catastrophic in the EU if we get more countries. So I don't think this is going to be on the table. But considering that Italy is one of the biggest investors, that Italy is one of the biggest investors uh, in the Western Balkan region, one could argue that uh, if she wants to put Italians first, the Italian business first, integrating the Western Balkans into the EU would actually build stronger bridges between mm. our region and Italy and therefore yeah. help the Italian people and yeah. Italian business. Yeah. So do you think this could be a convincing argument? Because our governments in the region should also focus on advocacy. What yeah. would you uh, recommend to uh, society here and uh, our policymakers with regards to our future relationship with Italy? I mean, I would definitely continue to have relations. I mean, in the sense that, as you correctly said, Italy is one of the biggest investors uh, in the region. Mm, the only issue that I think is talking about the first part of your question is that um, also the, the ideas in Italy changed with okay. the refugee crisis, with, uh, with the increase of refugee by numbers in Italy, the, there, is a, a, there is a division in the society. So people are not really happy, let's put it this way. Um, also, we have a history back in, in the 90s with Italy with uh, the flaw of people coming from, uh, from our region. So um, I agree with you that this would be much more beneficial for Italy to from actually... From a rational standpoint. Absolutely, yes. But at the same time, from her political perspective, how can she change now the narrative? Hmm. She has always been against refugees and migrants. How can she now prove that having the Western Balkans in the European Union is going to be beneficial for her? So this would be maybe too risky, or at least too risky for now. Uh, on the other hand, I would say that the civil society organizations in, uh, in the Western Balkans should still keep on going even in bilateral agreements with, uh, with Italy and keep trying to get some funds, keep trying to collaborate, keep having new projects. Hopefully Italian stakeholders are listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they should definitely keep working and keep working because, I mean... We have to be realistic, but also sometimes positive that perhaps the situation will change. And I mean, at the end of the day, we don't know until when this government will last. So yeah, that was my <laughs> final question, actually, to wrap everything up. Uh, uh, it's a right wing uh, coalition made of three actually very different parties, although they are on the right. So therefore, uh, could you expect this government to, uh, you know, make a miracle and uh, do its full term? Uh, and if so, uh, how do you see Italy and Europe in 2026 if she uh, sustains uh, her government that long? This is a very good question <laughs> because in Italy you can always have a lot of surprises. <laughs> um, so um, as I told you before, we already see that there are some shakings within the within sorry the the coalition. Um, I wish I could know until when it will last. Um, it will also depend on how much they will be able to negotiate, because we also saw that in the past this was the main problem. There were no negotiations between the political parties, then at some point the government will fail, then we'll have a technocratic government, and then we would have elections again. So uh, this is a quite realistic option, because I wouldn't be surprised personally, neither the Italians, I would say. 
um, if they are able to keep the government, I mean, on the one hand, from an objective point of view, this would bring political and economic stability in the country. Okay. So this could also mean that they might be re-elected. Okay. But on the other hand, we should not forget that it's a right-wing coalition. It's a right-wing government. They have their own ideologies. I'm going to stress it again out. Abortion, LGBTQ community, migrants and refugees. And... Uh, we do have these people living in Italy. So how are they going to react on this? What are these political parties going to do? But also we have to wonder what is the left wing going to do? Because we already know that they're going to have a Congress, the Democratic Party. Um, Letta, the head of the party, is going to resign. Mm. They are already thinking of changing their strategy. So it also depends on how they will be able to work because this is actually a sign of a crisis of the leftists. So if they're going to try or if they're going to be able to be efficient, then there might be a change in the future. Um, otherwise, uh, they, they might, yes, as I said, they might, so, there is also a chance so for them to be relaxed. In simple words, say that the success of the right depends on the ability of the left to consolidate I would say so revive, yes uh, revive itself mm -hmm. and maybe change its way of thinking yes absolutely M uh, way of thinking changing the people who are in the political party because these people have been there now for decades and <laughs> Italians are tired yeah, and I mean this does sounds familiar this it's, doesn't apply only to Italy exactly it's not know? a happy note to end this uh, yeah. podcast <laughs> with but uh, do you have any maybe last comments any uh, uh, suggestions for the listeners I would just like to say that everyone should get informed, read, read, listen and read, even if you do not agree with what you're listening to and what you're reading, it is important always to know uh, both sides Keep and to vote and vote and vote. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. It's quite an encouragement to invite people to vote. Uh, I mean, 65, 63% yeah. is a record low in Italy. It would have been a historical <laughs> figure here in Serbia, but <laughs> nevertheless, let's hope people uh, get more active both absolutely. in Italy and Serbia and uh, take uh, matters uh, into their own hands. Thank you Pretty very better. much. Thank you Thank for you. being with us. Thank you very much. Dear listeners, this was European Talks, podcast led by European Policy Center. Stay tuned for more.